Welcome to Democratically 2020, the podcast all about the politics, policies, and personalities of the 2020 U.S. election. I'm your host, Karen Robinson. So, welcome to Primary to the Democratically 2020 podcast. Um, I am thrilled to welcome uh, Lucina Di Mecco um, onto this uh, podcast this week. Lucina is a researcher and the leader of the She Persisted Initiative, which is working to raise awareness um, and better understand um, issues of gender. Um, and especially, obviously, we're looking at gender in politics this week. Lucina, thank you for coming and talking to me today. Thank you. I'm thrilled to be here with you. Likewise. Um, obviously, it goes without saying, um, it's a great week to be talking about women in politics because rather an important one has just, uh, has just entered the scene. Um, Kamala Harris has been announced as Joe Biden's uh, VP nominee this week. And um, she's a really interesting pick in a lot of ways. I think in some ways people describe her as the kind of safe or predictable pick, but I think it's fascinating to describe a kind of um, a woman with her sort of background and experience as in any way safe or predictable. So, Lucina, what was your first reaction upon hearing the news and what are your thoughts? I'm super excited. I think that Kamala Harris is an incredible choice as Joe Biden's running mate. Um, I think she's tough, smart, ready to lead. As a Californian and a San Franciscan, I'm particularly excited too because she really comes from this district. And in addition, as an immigrant to this country, I'm excited because I feel that really her life story is such a fundamentally American life story coming from parents that were immigrants of different countries and really being a first generation American. Um, her story is so exciting and inspiring for me. And of course, I also feel absolutely for so many black women and women of color that finally can see themselves represented in a presidential VP. So this is such a historical moment in so many different levels. And of course, also from the angle of racial equality. Absolutely. I mean, that's one of the things that's fascinating about Kamala Harris is she encompasses so many different um, parts of the party just in herself. She encompasses kind of relatively, you know, um, she's not an immigrant herself, but she's a child of immigrant parents. Um, she represents the black community. She has a Jamaican father. Um, she had an Indian mother. Um, you know, obviously she herself is uh, from, from California. She's been a lawyer, a district attorney, um, representing a very, you know, worked as district attorney for the state of California, which is a very big job in itself. She's been a senator. There's just a lot going on with her. So, so given that she is such an impressive person um, and a candidate with so much going on, so much experience and pedigree, and that she's had such a favorable impression as her first announcement as VP candidate, why do you think it might be that she didn't uh, manage to break through when she was running for president in her own right? You know, women faced such an incredible number of challenges and double binds when running for office in general and particularly when running for the highest office. This presidential election hasn't been an exception in the amount of vitriol and fake news that we have seen happening around the female candidates. 
And particularly in my own research, I was also able to witness how unfairly women candidates were treated, particularly on social media, with respect to male candidates. So there are a number of different aspects that clearly contributed to her not being able to make it. But overall, I think that this is a great opportunity for us to rally behind a female VP and make sure that the next time around we actually get a woman president. Yeah. I mean, I want to talk a little bit more about Kamala Harris in a minute, but before we do that, you've, you've referenced kind of the opportunity to rally behind a female candidate, a female VP candidate. She is, of course, the, the third person, the third, the third woman to be selected as a VP candidate. Geraldine Ferraro, famously uh, back in the 80s, was the first picked by Walter Mondale. Sarah Palin was picked by John McCain um, in 2008. Are there any lessons we've learned from them or indeed perhaps from Hillary Clinton's run um, in 2016 that perhaps Kamala could build on or learn from um, in terms of how to run as a woman? I think that the really main lesson is that we now know very well that she will be facing a huge amount of racist and misogynist attacks, including explicit and implicit suggestions that she's untrustworthy, too emotional, or unqualified for the job. And so right now, more than ever, we have the opportunity of recognize those attacks and reject them. Recognize them as not attacks specifically against even Kamala Harris, but attacks that frankly would have been directed to any woman that had been picked in that role. And so I think that it's really society as a whole that has the opportunity now to look back at what we have seen happening before and the kind of wrong framings that the female candidates and women in politics in general are subjected to and really try and not validate those framings, not replicate them and go out and vote and support this female candidate. So what would be an example of the kind of wrong, wrong framing that female candidates often encounter, especially when they run for national office? You know, we see many, and interestingly, they're quite equally spread across the world, and we see them being repeated in many different countries. So we really know it's a gender issue. Um, we talk very often about female candidates' family status, whether they are married, they are married, their children, their husband, their relationship to their husband. There is an obsession with their family status that is absolutely not there when it comes to male candidates. There is also an obsession with their personality, whether they are nice people, whether they are mean, uh, whether they are friendly. This is something that, again, we generally do not see happening around male candidates. And the artificial intelligence analysis from my research also shows that, for example, male candidates tend to be attacked more on the basis of their policies or politics versus for female candidates, it's really about their, their personality and who they are. So those things attract to their, um, you know, their credibility in many ways as political leaders and also 
change the focus of the conversation from what they are going to do and their qualifications to other things that frankly do not pertain to politics. We have also seen an incredible amount of negative images and videos and sexualized images, particularly on social media. And this is something that is absolutely unacceptable. And I really hope that this will be the election where we get the chance to set the record straight and have zero tolerance towards this kind of behaviors. So I think we can all do a better job as voters and as participants in the democratic process. And of course, I would encourage all the listeners to this podcast to really think long and hard about um, how they can help overcome some of these challenges um, in the way that the candidate is spoken about in their own kind of conversations. But if you're Kamala herself, um, she's obviously going out there and she's facing this deluge head on. And of course, in this particular scenario, she's going to be going up against a president of the United States who is openly misogynistic and who has bought into some very, um, I, I'm searching for a word that's strong enough, not very nice attitudes towards women. Um, and she's going to have to stand there and, and take a lot of it. So I guess what I'm wondering is, what advice would you have for her as a candidate in terms of how to deal with it in the moment when she's hit with misogyny on the campaign trail? Is it better to call it out or is it better to try and kind of overcome it? What's the way to deal with it? There is some very interesting research, both from um, Celinda Lake and Lake Partners and from the Women's Media Center and also from the Barbara Lee Foundation. All this research points to the fact that it's really important for candidates to call out sexism. That this not only can benefit them, but also can create a better environment for women in general and other female candidates. However, I think it's important to really uh, point out that this isn't necessarily Harry's responsibility to deflect or somehow minimize uh, the sexist and misogynistic hate that is directed towards her. I think it's really everyone's responsibility to make sure that those narratives do not go viral. I think it is really our responsibility and our society to say enough is enough and really also hold social media companies accountable for their role in contributing to the dissemination of those negative messages, this vitriol and this online harassment. So while there definitely are strategies that, you know, she can, uh, she can use, I think, you know, the, the more important conversation to me is what can we do as citizens in order to support a female candidate to be frankly treated fairly. This isn't about Harris uh, getting a special positive treatment. This is about her getting pretty much a fair treatment as um, a political person and a similar treatment that male candidates would get where the, in the interviews they get asked, for example, regarding their politics and policies as opposed to again, where are their children while they are running for office. And of course, I mentioned earlier, Kamala Harris is not the first woman to run for higher office, but she is the first minority woman to be nominated by a major political party in the United States um, in either the presidential or the vice presidential race. Um, 
and there are it's a special challenge for people who have kind of for women who come from minority status there's only been one prior to Kamala Harris there's only been one uh, black woman in the Senate ahead of her um, so this is actually brand new territory for um, for black women who have been driving forces of the Democratic Party for many, many years. Is there actually, for Harris, an advantage to being able to draw on that personal story in terms of kind of getting voters' attention? Obviously, um, the hope is that, you know, presumably the Biden campaign is hoping that she might help them in their effort to um, get out the vote from the African-American community. Um, how, how should we think about this kind of double minority status that she's, uh, that she's experiencing? I definitely hope that her story will be inspiring to many, um, many citizens and to a lot of the electorate, particularly young people that have really uh, rallied behind the Black Lives Matter movement and that are recognizing the importance of a diverse society and diverse representation. What we know, however, from experiences, including in other countries, is that in general, minority women are facing very important challenges, particularly when it comes to their treatment on social media. And there was a recently a study on uh, the UK Parliament, in fact, and looking at members of Parliament that were Black and Asian women and found that they were receiving 35% more abusive tweets, for example, than white women. And so I think it's really important for us to also be thoughtful that a lot of the content we might be seeing is including a racist con content and to be able to recognize and call it out. What makes me really hopeful is that in this, um, in this context and in this election, there are a number of women's organizations and black women's organizations that have been very, very active in beginning to call out uh, the sexism that we see, particularly when it comes to women in politics. And I hope that you know, they will continue doing this great job and and really make a difference and you know i'm i'm thinking of organizations like she the people color of change higher heights and and many more yeah i mean i think that's that's the interesting point with this election it, it very much feels like it needs to be the entire democratic establishment and indeed some non-party aligned groups um, who exist for the purpose of making sure that women and minorities are treated treated fairly in political life sort of all need to work together to make this, to make this happen. Speaking of uh, misinformation and uh, racist slurs going around, I wanted to ask you about an article that was published in Newsweek um, after Kamala Harris's announcement, um, in which somebody um, wrote an article, it was actually somebody who knew, who knows uh, Harris and ran against her um, from the right wing, um, speculating about her legal status, um, whether she counts as a natural born citizen or not. And of course, this raised all kinds of concern and red flags. Um, and it kind of is resonant of the birther movement um, that was perpetrated against Barack Obama, trying to delegitimize him and suggest that he's not, uh, not a valid not a valid US president, um, even though he was born in this country. Kamala Harris also was born in this country, but as we've discussed, to two immigrant parents. Um, 
many people thought that when the Barack Obama birther conspiracy came out, it would just go away because it was so patently ridiculous. Um, and it did go, it didn't go away. Um, is there anything we can be doing differently now to make sure that this doesn't grow into something as uh, as as powerful and a certain segment of the population as uh, the, the Obama birth movement was? Absolutely. I mean, I think that this is a very clear example of disinformation. And we know in general that women tend to be targets of this kind of disinformation in a way that is actually exponential even compared to male politicians. I think that now that we have a better understanding of how social media works and how pervasive and organized those disinformation attacks are, because we aren't really necessarily often thinking of, uh, you know, um, organized structures. Now, some of the disinformation might be coming by individuals that are just spreading something that isn't true. A lot of the disinformation, however, really comes by organized trolls and bots that are very well resourced and politically motivated. So now that we know that this is frankly the reality, there are many uh, different ways that we can relate to the news that we, uh, that we read. And Ultraviolet came out with a very, very good guide on how, make how to make sure that while calling out disinformation, we do not replicate it. So for example, if we see a tweet with uh, some disinformation, we are not supposed to you know, retweet it while commenting on it, even negatively, because by retweeting it, it's actually going to go more viral and more people are going to see it. So there are different ways that we can use to respond to the negative stories and to the false stories in a way that doesn't, doesn't make them bigger. And my hope is that, again, because we do know more in this election, we can actually uh, change things. And this is also a little bit something that I learned and heard from really talking, including with some of the people that had worked on Hillary Clinton's campaign in the past, that in many ways that election was really the first election where we realized the overwhelming negative power of social media. Um, right now, after we have seen what we have seen, I think we can be much better prepared to respond. You mentioned Hillary Clinton. Um, one of the things that I'm aware about with Hillary Clinton's um, long career in politics has been a really interesting dynamic by which she becomes really popular when she's doing a job and loses a lot of her popularity when she's seeking power. Um, and this has been called out to me in the past as something that's quite typical for a lot of women. I was really struck in seeing after Kamala's announcement that um, her popularity went up drastically um, amongst both the Democrats, nine out of 10 Democrats approve of it, and overall between Democrats and independents, her approval rating went up after the announcement was made. Do you think this is a break in that pattern that women, um, women uh, struggle, to, struggle to gain favor when they're seeking power in their own right? Or do you think it's something about the nature of the vice presidency that might make things a little bit different in this case? 
I think a vice president is, is still a little bit different than running for president and running for president, particularly against male candidates. Um, however, we have also seen from uh, previous women that were identified as vice presidents that this doesn't necessarily mean that they will not be attacked down the line viciously and that they will not receive um, incredible amounts of vitriol and misinformation targeting them on social media. My hope is that though we are a little bit more sensitive about these kind of attacks, and I was uh, very positively impressed by reading the results of a recent research from Celinda Lake that really surveyed men and women and found that many of them, and particularly many men, uh, were concerned by the amount of false and misleading information, um, particularly happening on Facebook and being directed against female candidates and women in general. And so my hope is that in fact, we are a little bit more advanced in our understanding of how those things play out. And we are a little bit more um, supportive in this, in this respect of female candidates. Great, excellent. Well, Lucina, um, I'm coming up towards the end of the interview I wanted to do, but are you able to stick around for just a few more minutes and we can play the gut check game? Absolutely, yeah. Basically, for new people to the podcast, um, all this is, is I have in front of me some little bits of paper with uh, quotes or sayings or expressions heard around the campaign trail. I'm popping them into my trusty Red Sox baseball cap, and I'm going to pull them at random out of my hat. Um, and then Lucina and I are just going to react to these sayings. So this week, obviously, um, these are all Kamala Harris related quotes or sayings, either by her or about her. And um, the first one I'm going to pick out is from Molly Jong Fast, who's a, a writer, um, who wrote a very interesting article in the Daily Beast in which she had the following quote, even I, who am completely dead inside, was all of a sudden incredibly moved by the idea of Kamala Harris as vice president, and I was not alone. What do you think about that? You know, in many ways, it, uh, you know, it, it resonates again with also my own feelings and experience, again, sharing a little bit of the immigrant story really made Kamala Harris for me a particularly, you know, really significant and, and important candidate, uh, uh, you know, a historical candidate in, in many ways. Yeah, I, I agree. I was surprised watching my own emotions at how strongly, positively I felt towards the announcement, even though I kind of expected it. I thought she was the one who was most likely to be chosen. But when it actually happened, it just, it just felt really positive. It felt nice to be spending time with somebody who's, you know, in my head at least, who's, who's clearly a very capable person, who's had an interesting career. But I also just, I find her a very joyful candidate. Um, and even when she was running for president in her own right, I found her somebody on the campaign trail who um, brings a lot of spirit of joy and excitement into her campaigning. And I think that's going to be 
a really good addition to the Biden campaign. Um, so I am looking forward to that. It makes me feel good. <laughs> let's see, um, I'll pick another one. Here is one, ugh, okay, let's go to the other end of the spectrum. This is a quote from a Trump fundraising email after Kamala's announcement. So Trump says, quote, Kamala Harris is the meanest, most horrible, most disrespectful, most liberal, most liberal is in all caps for your information, of anyone in the US Senate. And I cannot believe that Joe Biden would pick her as his running mate. How do we feel about the president's very mature and thoughtful reaction there? <laughs> you know, I think that this is really very much in line with misogynistic, uh, really, comments against, against female politicians. I think it really shows so much how for example, instead of talking of specific policies or specific viewpoints, we are seeing attacks that are very vague, framed on personality, framed around general uh, untrustability without very clear specifications of why someone wouldn't be trustworthy. And yeah. so this really falls so much into the category of uh, you know, attacks against against women in politics that are so clearly showing, um, you know, uh, an incredible amount of, of misogyny. And also on this, though, I feel a little bit, um, you know, it reminds me of Margaret Thatcher's <laughs> quote, I always cheer up immensely if an attack is particularly wounding because I think, well, if they attack one personally, it means they have not a single political argument left. And so in some ways, those attacks actually leave me feeling a little bit lifted up and kind of like as a nasty woman myself, I have to say, I always have to laugh a little bit. Nasty women everywhere stand together. I, I totally agree. I think it's been really interesting that Kamala Harris has been clearly the front runner for this nomination um, ever since you know Biden Biden clinched his uh, his nomination um, way back in what like March April, and yet the Trump campaign doesn't seem to have figured out what their argument is. They they've got nothing to offer except ad hominem attacks, which don't even really match up with who she presents herself to be. And I think they don't really land because they just don't they don't feel like they have anything to do with anything. So um, I'm hopeful that the nonsense that they spout will, uh, will not find fertile ground. Um, let's go the other end now and let's have a look at what Kamala says about Trump himself. So here's a quote um, that she spoke during her announcement speech, um, her first joint speech with uh, Joe Biden. Uh, speaking about the president, Kamala said, he inherited the longest economic expansion in history from Barack Obama and Joe Biden. And then, like everything else he inherited, he ran it straight into the ground. Well, that speaks for itself. In fact, I saw that. <laughs> I saw the tweet yesterday and I found it quite impressive and concise. <laughs> so 
It's nice framing, isn't it? Because as you said, his attack on her doesn't have any policy grounding at all. He's not making an argument about anything. She's making an argument about Trump's policy failures in managing the US economy and then tying it back to his personal history, which I find a really, really well constructed, you know, way of approaching it. Um, so yeah, it, it, it's, it's different. I like it. Um, we'll do one more because I think this final one touches very nicely on the subject of your research. Um, Joe Biden in that same speech says, is anyone surprised that Donald Trump has a problem with, with a strong woman or strong women across the board? We know that more is to come. I yes. don't think anyone is surprised to find that Joe Biden has, that, that Donald Trump has a problem with strong women. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, it's actually the case in many, uh, in many governments right now around the world, we are seeing really a wave of right wing governments often governments that are in fact challenging um, rights of, for example, free speech and um, certain rights of minorities. We see those same governments around the world being particularly um, vicious against women and women in politics and trying to you know, bring back in many ways uh, the, the rights that women have achieved in the past 20 years. So I don't think necessarily the US in this is an exception or an isolated case. Again, we see it in many, many governments around the world that there are those, those attempts from the right wing to in fact um, limit the power of, of women in politics. The truth is that women are often change makers. Women are often um, new, newcomers to the political world and ones that are shaking up things and you know, shaking up sometimes even uh, entrenched powers. And it is no surprise to me that in fact, there are some political elites that are against them getting that power and changing those things. And, sometimes even making those changes that they need to be made. So I am not surprised, and I don't think that this is uh, something isolated or exclusive to the US. Yeah. Well, it's a change maker that we need, isn't it? Yes. Thank you so much for your time. I've really enjoyed talking to you, and um, hopefully we get the results uh, we are all hoping for. Thank you. I've loved talking to you. It's fun and always a privilege. And uh, fingers crossed. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. And that's it. As always, you can reach me on Twitter. I'm at KarenJR. That's K-A-R-I-N-J-R on Twitter. I'd particularly love to hear from you if you have any voting questions. Um, I am happy to answer questions from voters all day long about how to get their ballots, how to make it work. Um, it, whatever you're wondering about, whatever you're struggling with, I promise um, lots of other people have the same questions. So I'm happy to respond to you. And also it might be that many others could appreciate hearing, uh, hearing the information you're searching for as well. 
Um, as always, uh, if you have not yet requested your absentee ballot, please do. As previously stated on this podcast, the websites where you can do that are votefromabroad.org if you're an American abroad like me, or if you're an American back home, go to vote.org. Um, and finally, I should let you know that this podcast is not affiliated with any organization or entity. It is just me all by my lonesome self talking to you, and I will speak to you again next week. Thank you.